So this week we're going to build on it, and here's kind of the question I want to set before us as we jump into Ephesians 2. Here's the question for the day. What is God saying about my direction in life and its contribution? What's God saying about the direction of my life and its contribution these days? Here's how Paul said it in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, for, by grace, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works. So no one can boast. Verse 10, for we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So when you think about when you, when you think about your contribution in life and the direction of your life, I want to attach a phrase to it today. I want you to think about your Ephesians two ten purpose. Because did you see there in, in verse eight, we're called to Christ. That's our salvation. There's all kinds of calling. We're called to Christ, salvation. We're called to become like Christ. That's discipleship. Grow up, become in character who you are in identity. That's discipleship. And we're called to serve Christ's mission in this world. That's your Ephesians 2.10 purpose. Good, right, verse 8 is salvation. Verse 10 is your 2.10 purpose, is your good works. You're created in Christ Jesus to do something in this world for his name. That's our contribution and direction of life. And so the Bible word for what we're talking about this morning is calling. Resilient people live by the gravitational pull of a call. Resilient people live by the gravitational pull of a call. Listen to what Thomas Merton says about this. Merton says it this way. If you want to identify me, ask me not where I live or what I like to eat or how I comb my hair. No one asks me that. But ask me what I think I am living for in detail. Follow this now. So Merton says, ask him what is he living for in detail. And ask him what I think is keeping me from living fully for that thing. You tracking that? So Merton says, you really want to know me, ask me what am I really living for, and ask me why am I not living fully for that? Keep going now. Between these two answers, you can determine the identity of any person. The better answer he has, the more of a person he is. Merton's giving, getting at this. A resilient life lives by the gravitational pull of a call. That you have, this, you have this strong sense that God's hand is on your life. That he's purposed for you to do some things in this world. That you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are his, you're called to him. And you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you're called to grow up in him and your discipleship. And you know that your contribution in this world that God has purposed for you. He's got good works planned for you. He's given you resources, skills, abilities, and talents. And all those things are to be deployed to accomplish something beyond you. That's living by calling. The Bible calls that calling. And so what we're going to look at this morning is we're just going to peel back some layers, kind of four characteristics of biblical calls. 
And hopefully as we go through these layers, it gives us a little insight into our own particular journey in calling, into our own discovery of our Ephesians 2.10 purpose, and then the contribution of our life accordingly. So the first area of biblical calls to, to look at here, right? So biblical calls are number one, God initiated. In the scriptures, no one calls him or herself. It doesn't happen that way, right? God calls Noah. God calls Abraham. God calls Moses. God calls Isaiah. Jesus called the 12 disciples to him. The Holy Spirit called Saul and Barnabas in Acts 13 to go and do some things, right? God initiates. God makes the first move, just like with salvation. Salvation starts with God. Discipleship starts with God. Serving his purposes starts with God. God is the one who makes the first move. He initiates, he opens a door, he strikes up a burden in the heart, he begins to stir some things on the inside. God initiates. He is the starting point for us to enter into our Ephesians 2.10 purpose. You don't just sit down and kind of come up with it on your own. It's a received entity. You tracking this? So calling is received. You receive it from the Lord, and then you begin to live in light of your calling. So it's God-initiated, which flows right into the second characteristic of calling, right? It's unpredictable. Like, it makes no sense how God... You, for those of you who grow up and are working through, like, guidance counselor and career counseling and all that... Wonderful contributions to all that. I'm not downplaying it, but listen, you can't plot this out in a counselor grid. God's, like, how he, it's unpredictable. Like, it makes no sense. Like, why would God call Gideon in Judges 6 to do what Gideon needed to do there? Why Gideon? It says of Gideon, he was the least in his household from the weakest family line in that area. So God's, he's looking for someone to get something done. He picks the least and the weakest. That's just, that doesn't make any sense. Or how about this? How, why would God pick David? David was a family run. He was the eighth youngest son. He wasn't even invited to the ceremony when they were anointing the king. And God said, hey, the, the kid that's out taking care of the animals in the pasture who smells like the pasture, that kid out there who's not even invited here, that's who I pick. He's going to be the next king. David, he's a family run. That makes no sense. Or how about Peter? Peter's the fisherman who likes to maybe speak before he thinks often, and God picks him to have a significant role in building his church all around the world. How about Saul of Tarsus and Acts? You would never line up Saul and say, hey, Saul's going to write 13 of the 27 New Testament books. He's going to become the prolific missionary of all missionaries. Saul, the one who's arresting and persecuting and throwing, prison, throwing Christians aside, he's trying to stamp out the name of Jesus. And God says, yeah, I pick you. You're going to move my name forward. It's completely unpredictable, this deal is. So, so this morning, as we walk through this, if inside of you, you're listening to a message about calling and about contribution and about purpose, and if you're sitting there and you're going, yeah, Simpson, if you just knew this about my life, you... You wouldn't even want to have this dialogue with me. Or, hey, if you, just, if you just knew this about my background, or surely you're thinking, you're immediately inside going, well, there's a whole bunch more qualified people around me to do whatever it is I'm feeling stirred up on the inside to do. If you're going through those kinds of things right there, just know in God's economy, you're a first-round draft pick. 
You're like front and center. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called, right? So it's all about God's initiative, and you can't predict it. You just receive it, and then we're responsible to be a steward of it. And you carry it out. So it's going to be initiated by him and quite unpredictable. So when I was growing up, I really wanted to be a meteorologist. I mean, I was just so fascinated with Mike Lozano and Eyewitness News on Channel 13. I was the kid who wanted to watch the Weather Channel on Saturday mornings, much to the irritation of my younger brother who wanted to watch the normal cartoons. I'm like, no, Brad, we got to flip on the Weather Channel. Look at this storm front going through East Asia right now. That's unbelievable. That's not normal. You, know, you knew I was weird, really weird. Now you're like, wow. Simpson, I knew you were a little different cat. Well, there you go. I wanted to be a meteorologist. I wanted to be like Mike before Mike Jordan was ever on the scene. So I wrote a letter to Mike Lozano. I said, Mike, I want to be like you. I want to grow up. I want to be a meteorologist. Help me know how to get from where I am to there. And he wrote me back. I was so excited. I got a letter from Mike Lozano, Channel 13 News. I kept the envelope forever. And then when I opened the envelope, I can remember sitting in my room and opening it up. And that was back in the day when they used to type letters, you know. It was a typewriter letter. You students got no idea what I'm saying. Just trust me. Typewriter letter. I'm looking at it. And the net of the letter said, Eric, thanks so much for your note. I'm so encouraged about your future. But let me be very clear. The one thing you do not want to do with your life is do what I'm doing. <laughs> I was crushed. Mike, Mike just went on to describe terrible pay, terrible lifestyle, terrible schooling, terrible... I, like, Mike needed therapy. <laughs> like, this letter said, Mike Lozano needed therapy. My hero is right on the brink of caving. So I bailed on meteorology. Mike Lozano popped my meteorological balloon. I was toast. So I decided I was going to be an aerospace engineer. Yeah, true story. You guys, true. Ask Kendra about this. I said, you know what, honey? I'm going to go. I'm going to enroll the School of Engineering, Iowa State University, one of the best programs around for aerospace engineering. And as a freshman, I roll in there with all my gadgets and calculators and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm ready to go. And I go to my first physics class. And the physics class just buried me. I mean, I thought, oh, Lord, this is not me. I ran down to the counselor's office after a few rounds of physics. And I thought, whatever I've got to do, I've got to get out of that. <laughs> so from meteorology to aerospace engineering, so I trot on over to the business college. And I decide I'm going to sign up for management information systems. That's a long degree title. They called it MIS back in the day, which basically was kind of information technology and business degree combined. And I said, I'm going to be an MIS major. And I graduated with an MIS degree and I become a marketing systems analyst. So from meteorology to aerospace engineering to marketing systems analyst to pastoral ministry. <laughs> Just how the career counselor mapped it out. God's call. It's a, you can't predict it. You don't get to set the agenda. You don't get to dictate to him. By the way, I'm going to help you with the relationship with the Lord here. If you're trying to coach God on his calling, just let go of that. You're not in charge. You don't get to like tell him how you want him to call you. No, that's not how you do it. You're in the receive posture and the surrender posture, and then you're in the steward posture. You're simply trying to keep up with what it is he wants you to do with your life. Which flows right into number three. Just know 
when you hit a biblical call, when you, you know this, it's going to seem on the, on the surface impossible. Like, God loves impossible odds. He loves it. And he loves to stack the deck in such a way where people look at it and say, the only explanation for that is God. That's what he likes to do. Like, what else explains, like, okay, I'm going to pick Noah, and then Noah, here's my assignment for you, Noah. You're going to build a boat, and it's going to take you 100 years. That, are you kidding me? And then Noah did it. Or how about Moses? I'm going to pick Moses, which, by the way, Moses is way down the sheet on the decades. He's on the 80s. Do you guys get into the 70s and 80s down there that said the journey of letting go? Moses was on the end of the run, so to speak. God said, yeah, I pick you. And you're going to lead a million people out of slavery in Egypt. What? And then he gets 83-year-old Aaron to be like his partner. So you got, you got 163 years between the two of them. That's not, you're like, you know, that's not how the world would necessarily set up like leader of all leaders there. A million people out of captivity. Look, impossible. So when they did it, who got all the glory? That was the whole point, Right? Or how about Elijah, what Julia walked us through a few weeks ago. How about Elijah going up to King Ahab and 400 prophets of Baal? How does that happen? And then flooding the offering, and then the fire comes. I mean, that's crazy. Or how about Nehemiah? God picks Nehemiah and says, hey, Nehemiah, I want you to rebuild the broken walls and the burn gates of the city. You're going to do it across 52 days and get the whole thing turned around. You're going to have all kinds of conflict from the inside. You're going to have conflict from the outside, but you're going to get it done. Are you kidding me? That's Nehemiah, and he did it. Or how about Paul? Saul of Tarsus becomes the apostle Paul, and he actually becomes a light to the Gentiles. He goes and he becomes a witness to the very people that he was trying to destroy earlier. God loves impossible odds. You can't track it. You can't map it. You can't plot it out. He's the initiator. It's completely unpredictable, and it will most likely seem impossible on the surface when you step into it. So that's why when you're starting to embrace your Ephesians 2.10 purpose, here's the, here's the ground you kind of live in. You start living on the uncomfortable edge between the possible and the impossible. You start living in that space. When you just go, I just can't see how this is all good. Right there's the edge when you, you know you're kind of out on the edge of your Ephesians 2.10 purpose. When you're going, I just can't see in my own wisdom and strength. My experience is God's calling and vision is usually tied to something beyond our resources, beyond our own abilities, beyond our own capacities to accomplish. That's when you know you've got a hold of something, Ephesians 2.10 oriented. If you can kind of do it in your own wisdom and strength, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's probably not big enough. It's not big enough for what God's wanting to get done in the world. So you got to kind of push yourself beyond what your own like comfort zones are. And you get out on the edge of, right on that edge of possible and impossible. And that's the space that biblical calls are found. Which flows into number four, right? So we've got God initiated. We've got unpredictable. We've got seemingly impossible. And then number four, there's an affirmation. You're affirmed. This calling is affirmed by those who know you well. This is a really important part of calling. Listen how Gordon MacDonald says it. His writings really helped me shape this whole series. He's got some really great insight on this. Listen to what he says. As I do what I do, does the world around me become a bit better of a place? 
Are people encouraged by my presence? Does an institution or business become a better place to work because of my contribution? Do I add something to the human equation in my home, at my job, in my neighborhood, in my church? You follow this? So here's what, here's what McDonald's saying. This is a really important part of calling. This is the step where we've got to lean into the people who know us well, who want God's best for us, who've been on the journey of life with us. This is this step. This is where you lean into those people. This is where you're listening for phrases like, hey, when you do this, you really come to life here. Like, I see this in you. When you're carrying this out, like, there's just so many good things that go on. You follow me? I wrote phrases down like this. I think, pay attention to phrases like, you come to life when you're doing that, dot, dot, dot. You're at your best when you, dot, dot, dot. You seem so natural when you. So this is that part of you which God's, God's taken initiative. You maybe couldn't map it out. It seems a little unpredictable. It feels like it's right on the edge of impossible. But yet when you step into that space, those around you can see something go on there that's so good and so right. So like when Evan Bacon last week is up here helping lead worship with our student band. So when Evan Bacon opens up to his small group leaders and his mentors and some of his spiritual advice, right, his parents, those in the body of Christ that have journeyed with Evan as he's grown up, when Evan begins to open up and says, you know what, I think God might be calling me to be a worship pastor, right? The response, the response, right, Evan has been so much affirmation, so much encouragement, so much, that's, that's so right. That's so like we come to life when we see you do that. There's been this journey of the people who know him who can affirm that there's a fruitfulness, that there's a blessing, that there's a contribution that Evan could bring in that space. Now, sitting here today, he tell you he has no idea how he's going to get from point A to B. Perfect. That's exactly where God wants him to be. Right, if he sat down and just told me I was going to map it out, I'd be like, that's probably not big enough stretch for the young man. Plenty big stretch, right, for him to go where he is to envision being in that space. That's exactly what I'm talking about. As opposed to when Eric Simpson was around Evan's age, I decided I wanted to learn how to play the guitar. I don't know why. I'd, I'd become fairly new. I was a new Christian, and I was hanging out with Christians, and I felt like everywhere we went, it was so cool when we would like do a small group thing and somebody in the group could like break out an acoustic guitar and like start playing it and singing some songs and it made the whole experience better. So I went home and I decided, well, if I'm going to be a good follower of Jesus, I got to learn how to play an acoustic guitar. So I went down to Mattingly's Music in Newton, Iowa, and I bought like a really cheap guitar, and I bought a How to Play the Guitar book, and I went to work, and I was grinding on it in my room, and I was working so hard. One day went into a week, went into a month, and at the end of a month, I couldn't even get my mom to speak something encouraging about what was coming out of that guitar thing. She couldn't say anything remotely positive in that. So let's just say I ran the tape out on that. Let's say I just showed up and showed up and told some of my youth leaders or told some of my family, God was calling me to be a, a, like a worship pastor, a music leader in his church. Listen, let me tell you right now, it had been crickets in response. Everybody had been looking down. They'd have been counseling. Listen, God loves impossible odds, but me doing music ministry would simply be human stupidity. That's not, right, you follow me? Like, absolutely he's going to stretch us. But listen, 
when you begin to step into your Ephesians 2.10 purpose, when you reflect on the direction of your life and its contribution, those who know you well, those who've journeyed with you, those who are in your corner, those who want God's best for you, they will come alongside you and say, yes, that is absolutely right. That is so how God made you. That is in step with what I could see for the kingdom contribution. And then you're off and rolling. Do you see how these four elements kind of all flow together, right? You don't sit down and just map it out on your own. You just received calls God initiated. You're not going to be able to predict it. You're not going to be able to map it out. You're not going to be able to connect one dot to the next. It's going to stretch you to the space where you can't figure out how you're going to actually carry it out. You're going to get on the edge of from possible to impossible. He loves those impossible odds because when the impossible becomes possible, then he gets all the glory in it. But all along the way, listen and lean into those around you who say, yeah, that's right in step with how I see God's made you. Which why another step would be if you feel like you're wrestling with your Ephesians 2.10 purpose and you unveil it to your circle of trusted confidants, and no one really comes to life and affirms that, as hard as it is for them, to, that's a gift to you. Don't run past that yellow light. It could be a red light right there. And just say, maybe you've kind of mixed some things up. You've crossed some signals in there. Lean into those people who know you well and have God's best in mind. So let me kind of bring this to a close with a statement about, I want to draw a distinction now between community contribution and Ephesians 2.10 purpose. Because the question we're setting before us today is, what's God saying right now about the direction of your life and its contribution these days? Like, what, what's God saying about that? He's called you to himself, salvation. He's called you to grow in him, discipleship. He's called you to serve his purposes and make a difference in this world, be about his good works. And then there's this element now. We're together as a local body. You know when you're together as a local body, we're a spiritual family together. Do you know when we do this thing called life and ministry together? We have things together called family chores. So this is where you serve in the space of community contribution that may not have anything to do with your Ephesians 2.10 purpose. So in the 25 plus years I've been with all of you guys, I have yet to run into someone who says to me, their Ephesians 2.10 purpose, where they come to life and flourish the most, is their spiritual gift of toddler nursery. It just hasn't happened. I'm not saying there's wonderful people serving our children's ministry, and there's a segment in the body of Christ, and some of you are in that segment, where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt your Ephesians 2.10 purpose is aligned with building into children. And we celebrate that. We affirm that. It's absolutely key to seeing the ministry go forward. But do you understand that that's a fairly small segment of the body? who really steps into that space and wakes up and can't wait to sit with first grade boys and help them get downlined into God's word. I mean, that's a small segment, really, that that's their Ephesians 2.10 purpose space. But we would all agree how important quality children's ministry is to what we're doing for Christ's mission in this world. We recognize how central it is to building in to the next generation. So this is where we step into the space called community contribution. 
We say, hey, all right, we're, we're grasping, we're wrestling with our calling, we're trying to sort out our Ephesians 2.10 purpose, and then all along the way, we're a part of a larger spiritual family, and we step into the space and serve and give ourselves away, as Jesus did, to simply help the greater cause, serving for the sake of others, even if it's a two-Tylenol serving. Because when I used to serve in the toddler nursery, which I did in the early years, I always told the folks, I said, I'm happy to do that, I just need two Tylenol in the midst of it, because it was a rough deal, Right? And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so that's what I want. I want to encourage you, right? Because a message like this can lend itself to a lot of folks who simply say, you know what? That's not really in line with my Ephesians 2.10 purpose, so I'm not going to do that. But really what the body needs as a whole is everybody getting a hold of their Ephesians 2.10 purpose and stepping out and flourishing in it simultaneous with stepping in with community contribution all around the body in ways that may not directly in line with their overall kingdom contribution in the biggest picture sense. So like when Carrie Smith and Kim Martin say to me this past week, hey, as we look towards the fall, Eric, we have 17 openings in Eagle Kids Ministry. We need 17 more people to step in. Listen, and I know this isn't going to be probably in your Ephesians 2.10 space. But then they said to me, if everyone who's just kind of any, any layer of involvement, if you've got kids in any measure of the program, if we just had one or both parents serving all across the board in that, do you realize all of those numbers are taken care of? That's a community contribution thing. And some of you who've already graduated with your kids, long since not down there, maybe it's a community contribution thing that once a month you can give back to those kids that way. Or it's not just kids ministry. Student ministry is the same way. Brad and Ian, right? They're doing a great job with our students. But they could use another handful of adult leaders to help step into the space of building into students. And maybe that doesn't really light your fire, but it's a community contribution thing. Or we look at our worship and tech team, right? We've got all these great people who show up early on Sunday mornings. Justin can use another 10 or 12 hands to step in and fill the gap. And it might be like once a month, getting up super early on a Sunday morning. You might not get to the end of that serving experience and go, man, that's my Ephesians 2.10 purpose. There are a few. We've got like the Kyle Morrises and the Steve Martins. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt this is their 2.10 purpose with the kingdom this way. And God uses them greatly. And we need their resources. But a good portion of the tech team simply community contribution-wise recognizes this is the way they can give back and help bless others, and especially those of you who travel a lot during the week. That's a great team to jump into because it's just a Sunday morning situation. Hospitality ministry, right? all of you serving hospitality, right? Greeters and coffee bar and food and ushers, all of that community contribution. We could use another 10, 12, 15 hands stepping in there. I could go on and on. Many of you who are newer to the body or have been around here a while and haven't plugged in recently, there's not a ministry area around the church that couldn't use another set of hands to bless it and move forward. There's not. There's a space for you. And this is central for your own formation and discipleship. This is being called to Christ, called to grow in Christ, and called to serve his purposes. Some of the serving will be right in step with your Ephesians 2.10, and others of it will be the broader community contribution. And so that's why, like, when you have your bulletin, you have that little tear-off card, and at the bottom, there's all those little areas you can mark to say, hey, I'd be willing to get involved in some of that. This is that time of year, right? As parents, right, we're turning the calendar from summer to a new school year. And all of you in the school system mode, right, how many meetings have we been to where the, basically the premise of the discussion, right, from sports meetings to classroom meetings to school meetings, everyone begins in this agenda. All the emails have been coming. Hey, make sure you bring your checkbook. That was the other thing, right? Bring your checkbook and sign up and volunteer. 
And I thought, you know what, as I was sitting through all those these past couple weeks, I thought, this is the role that we have to have a voice in all of this, right? Because as important as it is to support our kids' academic development, I would argue a stack one step up higher, the spiritual and character development is even more important. We've got to give even more resources to that, right? We've got to write checks and give away our time to serve in a greater community contribution-wise. And so that's this time of year, all across the board. That's how the kingdom moves forward. This is Jesus' way for the ministry to go forth. And do you see the connection to resilience in all this? Like, we're going to grow stronger as we grow older if we stay on the front line of what God's doing in this world. You are not going to grow stronger as you grow older if you're on the sidelines watching the kingdom go forward and remembering the glory days from the past. It's not about reminiscing about what used to be. You give thanks for what used to be, and then you step forward and say, hey, my best years are in front of me. I've got more to offer now than ever before, and I'm going to sign up. I'm going to be stretched. I'm going to step out. You're going to get to know people. God's going to stretch you, and then there's going to be this sense of your faith and your walk with him is strengthened. This is the resilient piece from decade to decade to decade. So biblical calls. God makes the first move. No doubt it's going to be unpredictable. Most likely going to be seemingly impossible. But along the way, there'll be strong affirmation for those who know you well. So what's God saying these days to you about the direction of your life and its contribution? The answer to that question will be really central in building resilience. And next week, we're going to build on this, and we're going to talk about this next week. And I want you to pray with me as we get into this subject next week. We're going to talk about the importance of lightening the load by repairing the past. So next week's subject, I'm just giving you a seven-day heads up. It's not the easiest thing to talk about when you start talking about the brokenness of just being in human relationships with one another family, friends, body of Christ, teammates, you name it. If you're a human and you're in a relationship with people, here's what the Bible says. It'll just be a matter of time before you experience disappointment, hurt, betrayal, false accusations, breakdown, conflict. It'll just be a matter of time. It won't be a question of if. It'll just be when. And then we're going to talk about how, what's so central. If we're going to really run this race with perseverance, guess what we're going to have to learn? We're going to have to throw off the things that hinder and the sin that entangles. And you know a big part of what entangles us in resilience is this. The journey from bitterness to forgiveness is next week. So I want to ask you, number one, come prayed up for that discussion. And number two, I'm going to ask you to extend a hand to someone and invite them to join you. Maybe someone who's been on the path, maybe they've been down the road of bitterness, or maybe they're on the journey of bitterness to forgiveness and they need some context. Maybe they've just been in the midst of a whole bunch of brokenness in the relational world and to come together next week and we're going to try to craft our entire experience next week around asking Jesus to meet us and move us from bitterness to forgiveness because that'll be central to resilience. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for the picture you give us in your word that for by grace uh, we have been saved, that it's by grace that we're here. It's by grace that you called out our name and said, you are mine. It's by grace that you sent Jesus for us. And thank you, Lord, by grace you call us to yourself and by grace you call us to grow up in you. 
And this morning, by grace, I pray that you would birth fresh vision. And maybe if it's been a while since you've simply prayed and just asked God, God, what's my Ephesians 2.10 purpose? This is the week you can ask him for that. Ask him to birth fresh vision in your heart around your life's direction and its contribution. Ask him. And then be open, Lord, we're open, we're receptive to you. I pray you dig out our ears to hear you, that you give us a sense of what does it mean to step in and step forward with you and where you're leading us. And then, God, would you prepare our hearts for what's going to be next Sunday? Would you bring us together and maybe even bring a friend or a family member? And would you do a mighty work of melting away some layers of bitterness? a work only you can do, the journey to forgiveness and grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to wrap up with a final song. We've got our ties, our offerings, the communication card. So you can take that little connect card I talked about earlier on your bulletin, and this would be a great Sunday. If you're not plugged in somewhere, if you could look at the bottom of that, there's some pretty easy boxes to check of just learning more about. It doesn't sign you up to do that. It signs you up to learn more from the leaders about what does it mean to serve in hospitality or children or students or worship and arts, that kind of thing. We could sure use some hands in all those ways, and this is a great time of year to step in and begin on the community contribution thing. And then thank you for your ongoing generosity because it takes dollars to move ministry forward. Thank you for helping us do that. So let's stand together. Ushers are going to come. We'll sing.